It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Dana Perino, and this is Perino on Politics. Former President Donald Trump is celebrating a South Carolina win. President Trump quickly secured a victory in the Palmetto State's Republican primary, resulting in a significant blow to former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley. And that, of course, was in her home state. Welcome to Perino on Politics, where we give you everything you need to know, a 30,000-foot view of this week in politics. I'm Kaylee McEnany. Joining me this week is Fox News radio political analyst Josh Crossar and one of my personal favorites to follow on Twitter. Josh, thank you very much for joining me. Kaylee, it's, it's great to be with you. Great to have you, especially on such a pivotal week. Look, we, we all expected Nikki Haley uh, to lose in South Carolina. The polling indicated that. But what I'm particularly interested in is this Nikki Haley voter, 60% say we're not going to support Trump. Look back in New Hampshire, 75% said that. Iowa, 70%. Now, the argument the Trump team would make is that voter is going to come home. And I did some deep dives into our, our Fox News polling. And indeed, when it's a head-to-head matchup with Biden and Trump, you do see that vote come home with Trump winning a vast majority of the party to the tune of something like 93% in Michigan, for example. Does that voter come home? I think... A lot of them will come home, but we're in this weird political moment, Kaylee, where both the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, both Trump and Biden are going to have some real challenges holding on to the entire party coalition. Uh, the, the big story right now is Trump and his his challenges winning over the sort of the suburban moms in Charleston and in Manchester and in, in you know Des Moines, Iowa. And you saw these numbers where he dominated the, the first three states. But his one soft spot was sort of the, the, the kind of upscale suburban areas uh, across all three of those states. Haley uh, won. Uh, narrowly among college-educated voters in the state of South Carolina. She carried Columbia, she carried Charleston and the counties around the coast. And that's her base. And that's that's a, that's, that's sort of the old-school Republican Party. I mean, Kayla, you know, my time covering campaigns, that, that was the one-time heart of, of the Republican Party, kind of your your George Bush-led Republican Party. And now Trump is 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 the leader of the party and he does much better than a lot of republicans did in the past in in, in other parts of the state in working class parts of the state in blue collar parts of the state but he does have that soft spot with suburban voters more moderate voters um and then there is that divide that you're seeing in these early primary results but i also think it's important to know that democrats also I mean, the reason why trump is leading in the polls or most polls against joe biden is that joe biden has a a coalition problem yes. we're going to find out this week in michigan there's going to be I think a sizable number of, of, of Democrats, African-Americans, a lot of Arab Americans upset about his Israel policy on the far left. You've got young voters. Um, they they are not on board with the Joe Biden you know, re-election campaign. So you're going to see in Michigan, I think, a real example of that this week. And you're going to see and you, see, you know, you just see that in the polls that a lot of working class African-Americans, working class Hispanics, uh, younger voters, some of the base they are not on board with Biden. And that, that's a challenge for him, too. So both parties are facing challenges holding together their coalitions. Right now, actually, I think it's the Democrats that may have the bigger problem going forward. And that's so fascinating. You know, the Wall Street Journal 
to that point, the headline this morning, Biden's biggest 2024 challenge to date is uncommitted voters in Michigan, 54% of Dearborn, for example, Arab Americans. So we'll see what happens with that protest vote. But to the point of that Trump voter and, and whether they will come home, I maintain this vice presidential pick is enormously important. This must be a man or woman who adds to the Trump base, who brings home that suburban mom. And in my mind, you know, the names that come to mind, I, I said two weeks ago, Nikki Haley, she's a proven campaigner. She's been tested on the national stage, but the barbs have just gotten a little too sharp that that's hard to wrap my head around seeing. Stranger things have happened in politics, though, I would add. But someone like Glenn Young, I, I realize that's a name not often thrown around, but he's someone who has favorability in Virginia, sky high. Another name, Tim Scott, someone who has a different tone than former President Trump, may bring in a new voter there. How important is the VP pick in in bringing home that independent suburban mother? I, I think it's very important. And you see a lot of uh, candidates, a lot of presidential nominees using that running mate pick to shore up a constituency that they're not as uh, strong with. Uh, Joe Biden, I mean, picking Kamala Harris was, I mean, it was an identity politics pick. It was sort <laughs> of a, a pick that was born a little bit out of desperation, but it was out of a promise he made to because he knew that he needed to kind of bring home um, and underscore his support with African-American women uh, in, the, in the 2020 election. That, that was a big goal of his. So sometimes you do the opposite, though. Like I, I think about like Bill Clinton in the 90s, you know, 92, picking Al Gore as someone who was very much like him as a Southern moderate uh, running on a lot, you know, too young, vibrant uh you know, new new Democrats, if you will, running together. You could see Trump going in a different direction and picking, you know, a J.D. Vance type, someone who kind of doubles down on sort of MAGA uh, as part of the ticket. But I don't think that would be a smart political strategy because of the, all the reasons, Kaylee, that you were talking about. K Trump has definite weaknesses among a big uh, faction within the Republican Party, and he wants to make sure he can keep them within the Republican Party. At this point, it makes no sense for him to pick Nikki Haley as the nominee, I don't think that would be a smart political strategy, but there are a lot of more mainstream and traditional Republicans that would help uh, the ticket win over the, those voters that don't like Joe Biden, but are no 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 fans of Donald Trump either. For sure. And, and look, you know, we've seen a new kind of messaging from the Trump campaign, at least in the last week or two. You know, we've seen Trump come out and after some of these court battles, pivot to issues. We saw in his speech, he did not mention Nikki Haley by name. Um, in fact, there's one vague reference to her, and we're being told in the pages of Politico Playbook and elsewhere that the team is saying we are pivoting beyond Nikki Haley. They want to, and Politico, make her unworthy of the front runner's attention. So there's this strategy to kind of diminish her by pivoting to a general election message. We know that Trump will be at the border now Thursday alongside President Biden. Biden will be there, different place um, on the border. But nevertheless, my point is we see them trying to take this to a general election messaging and away from a primary messaging. How important is it for Trump to shift that message? Well, I, I thought he went or he did a much better job in his comments after the South Carolina victory, sort of ignoring Nikki Haley, moving along to the general election. You know, his mag when he's magnanimous, when he kind of goes against form, when he goes against type, he he ends up doing better politically. When he kind of gets stuck in grievance mode, like he did after the winning the New Hampshire primary, it creates all kinds of problems for him. So uh, I think, look, he he has a lot he he has a lot of work to do. Um, part of it can be done through picking a, a talented and and unifying running mate. Uh, but look, he on policy, I I, I think he um, would be well served 
trying to embrace some kind of bipartisan deal, which he's been averse to when it comes to foreign aid and helping Israel out, helping Ukraine out as Russia starts to make some gains in, in the war, uh, the war between Russia and Ukraine. Um, like, I think there are opportunities he has to kind of show that he can broaden his appeal beyond the MAGA base. But that that is going to be a test in the, in the months to come. He, he has a real opportunity. Biden is one of the least popular uh, presidents running for a second term in just ter- in history. If you look at the polling. Uh, he's got one of the lowest job approval ratings of any president looking to seek a second term. And uh, the challenge for Trump is his numbers are, are, are just as weak. Uh, his favorability number is just as low. So his job, I think I think it's helpful to be the challenger. You, you generally have an advantage when you're the challenger and you can kind of affect your message more more effective. You know, the president's running on his governing record. The challenger has a chance to say what he, what he would do differently. Uh, so Trump has an opportunity to kind of bring in some of the more uh, persuadable voters, more moderate voters. But he has to actually change, you know, tweak, tweak his, his, his views and, and really work hard at bringing them in as, in as part of the coalition. Well, it will be interesting to watch that. There's no doubt about that. We'll have more Perino on politics coming up. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. We are back with Prino on politics. Josh, let's dive into what is ahead. And as you know, Super Tuesday, 21 states voting um, in the near future few weeks, we will have 60% of delegates allocated. Nikki Haley, look, her case for staying in the race is that 40% is not a tiny group. She is trying to lay claim to a faction of the party, the party faction that we talked about bringing home. But an important piece of this, I think, is money. Nikki Haley touted $1 million coming in in the 24 hours after South Carolina. That comes on the heels of an enormous fundraising haul in January. So that money she's taking in, that that gives her a little bit of a tailwind. Yeah, that means she can campaign for as long as she wants, as long as she has the bills to pay for travel to go across the country in all, all these Super Tuesday states and perhaps beyond. I mean, she is sort of running as, as almost a rival from, from within and, and trying to position herself uh, if, if Trump loses in 2024 as the someone who could could take over the mantle of the party. The, pro- the problem, though, is, Kaylee, that I, I, I don't really see her endgame if she wants to kind of maintain uh, really uh, a long-term standing in the party. If she is playing for 2028, she's burnt a lot of bridges with, with other people who may agree with her on, on, on a lot of policy issues. I, I've heard a lot of speculation in recent weeks that she may be at some point looking to run on the no labels. She's by the way, no labels platform, which she's denied. Her campaign is denied, but her message is exactly what no labels is, is talking about. Two, two old guys running uh, and, and they're deeply disliked and you need a third, third option. And, and she's someone frankly, who has the name ID and has the credibility with enough Republicans, not a lot, but, but enough to, to really have an impact. So I, I'm actually kind of intrigued what her end game is. I, I, she's not going to uh, win the nomination. I'm interested in how much of the vote she gets in some of these big Super Tuesday states, just as a matter of analysis, to see how much of the Republican Party still is having trouble uh, in, endorsing and supporting Donald Trump. But I do think that she would be, if you could, you know, this was fantasy politics and you could kind of dream up a third party candidacy, Nikki Haley could actually really uh, give 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 Trump and Biden a run for their money as a third party candidate. But the pro- I think the problem is both she wants to maintain some some goodwill within the Republican Party. And there's also a, a question of ballot access. And if she, 
you know, whether she would be able to even be able to qualify for some of the state's ballots, given some of the, the arcane rules that, that it would take. Well, your dreams maybe also be the dreams of Joe Cunningham over at No Labels, to your exact point. Um, he said Nikki Haley is somebody we will definitely be interested in, to which she replied, I have no interest in third party candidacy. We'll see. Things change in politics, as you well know. But one thing I'm interested in, so no labels, let's say she's, you know, 100% being upfront about that. I'm not interested, no third party run. My next question becomes, why is her language pivoting on a Trump endorsement? Because in July of 23, she said, I would support Trump because I'm not going to have a President Kamala Harris. But then last Sunday when she was pushed, I believe it was by John Carl, she said, the last thing on my mind is who I'm going to support. So it seems like she's a little more vague and nuanced. Perhaps that's just her primary strategy. Is there anything to that or am I reading too much into this language? Yeah, yeah. Um it's it's a good question. I I I think a lot of it is boy. I mean, we we are in a, a moment of just volatile politics. It's the known unknowns to to use the line from from Don Rumsfeld. And I I think you know the 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 other big wild card, Kaylee, is is just Trump's legal challenges and and whether the, that affects um you know if there's any kind of conviction or there any kind of legal headache that he's going to have to deal with down the road. That that's going to be one of the big wild cards to watch. Yeah, no doubt about it. And the Trump team, they're convinced and they they put out this memo expressing great confidence that he is going to hit the 1,215 delegate mark, they say, by March 19th. That certainly seems within the realm of possibility. I mean, some of his leads in these Super Tuesday states, I, I saw one where the margin was like a 65 percent lead. And look, the polling is very sparse. There hasn't been a lot done. But I mean, when you're winning by leads like that in some of these states that are winner take all, I believe Florida is one of them. Do you think they can hit that delegate mark? By March 19th? Yeah, I think they're on track. I mean, the way the rules work within the, the Republican Party these days are a lot more winner take all uh, primaries. Um, let the Democrats do it a lot more proportionally, which makes it, long, it takes a longer time for the, the eventual winner to, to to lock down the nomination. But look, you're, you're seeing all the movement of, of Trump uh, as the nominee, both uh, with Ron McDaniel. Uh, resigning uh in a couple weeks as rnc chair trump, trump some some other uh leaders very friendly to trump uh, taking over the the role of rnc chair and and, and look they, they, they know the math as good as anyone the trump campaign has done a very good job kind of gaming out the process and uh look, yeah mid-march late march i think is the target date for when they'll have have enough delegates to clinch the nomination so to that end about the rnc i i would say look if i'm, I'm just mapping this out as you know a prognosticator of elections i i would think if if I'm, I'm Biden, we know his flaws, the age, we know um, how terrible his polling is, for example. But the things I would think if I'm Biden that I have on my side are my cash on hand, which is significantly more than my rival, is my mail-in balloting operation, which worked to great effect in the midterms for the Democratic Party. And also, I would not underestimate social media, the presence on TikTok, the ability to court Gen Z voters via these paths. How important do you think it is at the RNC to shore up the financing, to shore up the early balloting? We've seen Laura Trump say at CPAC that that's a main priority, the early vote. But those structural advantages on the margins, they can matter. They matter a lot. And money is going to be a big a big factor. And that that's one of the, the challenges that, frankly, Ron McDaniel has faced, where the RNC has been outraised by the DNC. And there are a lot of financial challenges uh, that, that Republicans are going to face. Biden has not been like a an amazing fundraiser, but Trump not only ha- has not matched him, but also has had to 
pay legal bills through through the camp or has used the legal uh the some of the legal issues he's faced um he's paid some of those bills through the campaign and, and some of the other apparatuses and that that's drained the campaign coffers so yeah like money's going to be a big issue a lot of the top donors in the republican party as you well know kaylee uh, a lot of them are not huge fans of donald trump they like the republican party they stand for the republican party uh platform but you know trump has been a tough sell and that's why nikki haley continues to raise the money she is is, is raising a lot of those folks are Republican donors who are, you know, troubled by um, sort of Trump's positions on certain issues. Uh, so so that's going to be a challenge. Fundraising is going to be a challenge. Trump has done very, very well with small dollar donors. One warning sign, I think, for Republicans is that the small dollar giving has tailed off a little bit from from 2020 and, and even 2016. Uh, so there, 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 there is sort of a, I, I think, so most people are getting burned out over politics on both sides. And I think that that's a warning sign when it comes to small dollar fundraising for the for the Trump campaign and also for the RNC. Yeah, we know Nikki Haley, the big news, losing the American uh, Americans for Prosperity action, the Koch brother money. And most of her donors, um, 100,000 and above in that massive January fundraising hall she had. All right. More Perino on politics next. Welcome back to Perino on politics. Josh, what am I missing? <laughs> Boy, well, one of the things that I, you know, I, 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 I cover all the elections from the presidential on down. We talked a little bit about the Michigan primary this mm-hmm. week, and you know, with, with Biden having some some real challenges, and that could be a big storyline if he does if he gets embarrassed in Michigan from his own party, and then you have the State of the Union uh, in in a couple of weeks. Uh, that that this could be a rough stretch for for the White House. I, I think that this is going to be one of those moments where we we focus so much on New Hampshire. Kaylee, we're, we're you know, we wondered if Biden would face a serious challenger, Dean Phillips or someone else in, in, in New Hampshire. Didn't really happen. But Michigan could be that moment. And I wonder if he does get embarrassed, what, what ends up happening and how much uh, panic really sets in uh, on, on the White House's end. The other storyline, I'm, I'm a big, big Senate and House race buff. And, uh, you know, Adam Schiff is, is in a really uh, uh, competitive primary that that's going to be starting on March 5th in, in a little over a week. And uh, he could be, you know, he may be the next senator from California. He may get that locked down, depending on how things roll out in the primary. So that that's going to be something to watch closely. Democrats don't want to have a Democrat versus Democrat Senate race going into November because that's where a lot of money is going to go into. But they want the money to be spent on much more winnable or much more important Senate races when it comes to the balance of power. Great points. And let me tease out the Michigan point here with you for a moment. So, you know, to our listeners, Michigan, there's this uncommitted push to vote uncommitted, to not vote for President Biden. And the impetus for that is his Israel policy. As I mentioned, Dearborn having a majority Arab American population. So you've had Rashida Tlaib, you've had some local leaders get on board with this push. And, and I'm curious to know what the bar has to be there in order for it to make a big splash, because we know that they have a goal of capturing 10,000 votes per The Wall Street Journal, 10,000 votes, because they argue that this is the margin that Trump took Michigan by in 2016, they being those the uncommitted push. So they say 10,000 votes. We we will prove if we have 10,000 uncommitted votes, we can swing an election. Um However, Joe Biden won Michigan in 2020 by 150,000 votes, a little bit more than that. So I'm curious where the splash comes. Does it have to be this huge number or is vocal publicity enough to make the point? Yeah, so everyone's trying. You always look at the expectations game, and a lot of a lot of people usually lower expectations. 10,000 votes, I think, only comes to about one or two percent of the Michigan 
expected electorate. And so that, that would not be any different than any other election year where you have uncommitted getting about that 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 share of the vote. So but but the head of our revolution, which is one of the organizations, the left wing organizations backing this thing, they said 10 percent that that's their goal, 10 percent. And I think that's sort of a good ballpark number to look at. My my big fundamental question is, are we just looking at a bunch of very left wing anti-Israel protesters in Dearborn, which is not a huge share of the Democratic vote. It's actually pretty small when it comes down to it. Or are we seeing some of the dissatisfaction with Biden over his age, over his energy policies, uh, over you know his union policies? Uh, does it show up in areas like Detroit? The Fox poll that came out last week in Michigan, Kaylee, showed that Trump wins 20, over 20 percent of the African-American vote. In, in Michigan. That, that's not because largely because of Israel. It's because of jobs. It's because of uh, a lot of other issues where they don't feel like he's responsive to, to their needs. So if we if we see a big number on that uncommitted side and it's beyond Dearborn, that is what's going to frighten the White House. I mean, that, that, that suggests that it's not just about Israel, which is frankly not the top issue for a lot of voters, but it's about a lot of other issues, namely with Biden's age and whether he's up for another four years in office. You know, on the topic of age, as, as we wrap up here, there has been this interesting development where Daniel Lipman has this audio from Congressman David Trone out of Maryland, Democrat. And the audio says, he's speaking of Biden, and it says, I wish he was 10 years younger. Okay, I got it. Who here doesn't? I know I do. I really do. And he kind of goes on. The point being, he mentions uh, this crit criticism of Biden in this room full of donors and supporters. And it comes on the back of Katie Porter, who said that she wants age limits for elected officials. It comes on the back of Congressman Tom Suozzi also bringing up Biden's age. The bottom line is he's old. Is it notable, and this is just three Democrats, but, you know, three elected Democrats criticizing the president openly about his age? Yeah, I mean, look, this is the worst kept secret in Washington. I mean, I feel like it, it, you kind of have cognitive dissonance when only Fox is talking about what everyone else is talking about and every vote Democrats. We, we've seen the polling, you know, 80 percent or so of, of, of voters overall, including the vast majority of Democrats, worried about the age issue. Uh, the fact that you're not seeing enough Democrats in office, the, the Tom Suozzi, David Trone, Dean Phillips, you know, the fact that you're only getting a handful of them that are actually starting to speak up shows the huge disconnect between a lot of elected officials on the Democratic side and, and, and their voters. Uh, look, if, if, if Biden, I mean, there's there's plenty of opportunity for the panic meter to get even higher. <laughs> we we saw it this this month with Biden's uh, really shaky press conference uh, amid the revelations in in, in Robert Hur's special report. Um, you know, it could get worse though, and and it, you you could hear more Democrats speaking out like David Trone. Uh, has and you could sort of see the results in Michigan, where you could have a vote of no confidence in Biden. Um, there, you know, we, we've talked a lot in the context of New Hampshire about LBJ in 1968. You know, uh, giving up 40 percent of the vote to Eugene McCarthy, and that was the end of his his presidency. Uh, you could, you know, it's theor theoretically possible you could see a real embarrassment in Michigan that could play a mm -hmm. similar role for Biden in 2024. Well, I will be watching Tuesday night for that potential embarrassment. We'll see if it happens. Josh, it was so great to have you back on the podcast. But before I let you go, I have a pop quiz for you. Yeah. So which president was the first to be born west of the Mississippi River, west of the Mississippi River? A, Herbert Hoover, B, Ronald Reagan, or C, William McKinley? I will go with Hoover. 
And of course, you are brilliant because you are 100% correct. Born on August 10th, 1874 into a Quaker family in Iowa. Hoover was orphaned at age nine. The future president did not cross east of the Mississippi River until he was 22 years old. So spot on again, Josh. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks. It was great being with you, Kaylee. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts.